You are listening to a sermon from Linworth Road Church. For more information about Linworth Road Church, please visit www.linworthroadchurch.com. Do I just want to uh, start out with a question? And the question is this: Have have you guys all noticed just how distracted everyone is these days? Um, I, I don't know where you're at on the whole use of the car horn, um, but I, I have traditionally not been what you might call horn happy. Um, you know, I'm talking about the kind of people that's just, they're just looking for an excuse to honk at you. It doesn't matter if you're doing the wrong thing or not. But, um, but again, that's just not been traditionally who I've been. But recently, I've had to start using the car horn more. And you guys know what I'm talking about. You're, you're at a red light, and the light turns green, and the person in front of you doesn't go because uh, they're distracted looking at their phone. And so to get them moving, you've got to give them the old honkaroo to, come on, buddy, let's go here. Um, but not only that, though, my wife uh, is, has been a little bit on a personal mission recently to uh she's out when we're driving she's out to identify everybody who's on their phone and uh so we'll be going down the freeway and she'll be like did you see that guy i mean he wasn't even pretending to not be on his phone because you know you can sort of pretend that you're not on your phone she's like he was just like i think he was watching a movie while he was driving you know and i'll just be like babe i I didn't see it i was too busy changing a uh, song on spotify to notice the other people on their phones right like i this is a struggle for me as well. I think most of us, if we're being honest, at least maybe if we're 40 and under, uh, we are distracted drivers. But not only are we distracted drivers, I think we are distracted lifers, right? I don't think that's a word, but we'll, we'll go with it. Like, I think most of us at some level are distracted all of the time. I mean, even when we're in these amazing, really special moments in life, we distract ourselves by pulling out our phones to take a picture or to videotape it. Uh, I mean, look at these people here. Uh, You can't tell what that is. That's Tiger Woods, and literally every single person in that picture has their phone out. They have one of the greatest golfers of all time, 10 feet in front of them. Instead of enjoying the moment and being fully present, being fully there, they pull out their phones to take a picture and record it. And the reality is, is that most of them are doing that, not so that they'll remember the moment, right? Because who's going to forget the day that they saw Tiger Woods hit it out of the rough 10 feet in front of them? They're, they're doing it so that they can later on uh, post it or text it to a friend. And so even while taking the picture or the video, uh, they're distracted by thinking about who am I going to send this to or what social media platform can I post it on or what clever hashtag can I come up with that'll get the most likes, You see, again, we, I think, if we're honest, are distracted. That's why I really like this other picture I came across this week. It says, this lady comes from a generation that knows how to enjoy the moment. And again, out of all those people, she's the only one not on her phone there. Um, And then, of course, you got to love this guy who's just making fun of us all. He says, uh, instead of enjoying this moment, let's take pictures. And uh, if you don't know who that is, maybe that's okay. Um... You see, again, it's, it's not just that we are distracted drivers. Many of us are distracted all of the time. At the very least, we're never fully present anywhere. Instead, we are what writer and consultant Linda Stone calls continuous partial attention. And by that, she means that we are always on because we're afraid to miss something. But because we're always on, we're never fully present or aware. And that's why later on in this article, she'll say this. She says, if being fulfilled is about committing yourself to someone else or some experience that requires a level of sustained attention, we are in trouble. 
since sustained attention is just the skill we are losing. And maybe at this point, some of you are like, wait, what, what does any of this have to do with the Gospel of Luke? Well, the reason I bring it up is because today we are going to talk about our devotional lives. And specifically, we're going to focus on the topic of prayer. And in our day and age, with the distractions around us, this makes prayer and this makes devotion to God a real challenge. In fact, I came across a quote this week by uh, A.W. Tozer, who, uh, if you've been here at some amount of time, you know that I, I really enjoy him. Um, and I'm not exactly sure when he wrote it. It was probably in the 1950s or the 1960s. But here's what he said. He said, among the enemies to devotion, none is so harmful as distractions. Whatever excites the curiosity, scatters the thoughts, disquiets the heart, absorbs the interest, or shifts our life focus from the kingdom of God within us to the world around us, that is a distraction and the world is full of them. Our science-based civilization has given us many benefits, but it has multiplied our distractions and so taken away far more than it has given. The remedy for distractions is the same now as it was in earlier and simpler times. That is to say, prayer, meditation, and cultivation of the inner life. The psalmist said, be still and know, and Christ told us to enter into our closets, shut the door, and pray unto the Father. It still works. Distractions must be conquered, or they will conquer us. So let us cultivate simplicity. Let us want fewer things. Let us walk in the Spirit. Let us fill our minds with the Word of God and our hearts with praise. And that way we can live in peace even in such a distraught world as this. Now we'll circle uh, back around at the end of the message to this idea of, of distractions. But, but for now, let's go ahead and jump into our passage. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 38. If you need to borrow a, a Bible this morning, you can use one of our pew Bibles. And the passage is found on page 969. Uh, once you've found it, go ahead and stand, and I'm going to read today's passage. So Luke 10 starting in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which one of you, if you have a friend who will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give you him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will arise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. 
Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, will you just this morning enable us to have some sustained attention here? Lord, we acknowledge we live in a distracting world and a distracting culture. And oftentimes, Lord, we have given into that. Will you, by the power of the Spirit, help us today to, uh, to hear from you? Lord, will you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to know your word? And I pray, Father, that all of us would leave here differently than we came in. That we would all leave looking more and more like your son Jesus. I ask that in his name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. Our outline this morning will be uh, very simply, uh, and it, you know, I'll just be honest, it's about as classic of a preacher outline as you can get. And uh, that's because our outline this morning is going to be number one, the priority of prayer. Number two, the practice of prayer. And then finally, we'll look at the promise of prayer. So starting with number one, the priority of prayer, let's uh, look again here at verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Okay, so here is Jesus. He is out and about, and he's traveling, and he's ministering to people. And here we're told by Luke that he has entered a certain village. Now, Luke leaves the village nameless, but he does tell us whose house that Jesus goes into. And because he tells us that Jesus went into Mary and Martha's house, we know from the Gospel of John that their house was in the village of Bethany. And so here is Jesus. He's in Bethany, which is just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. He's been welcomed into the house of Mary and Martha. And verse 39 tells us there that Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet, and she's listening to him. So that's what's going on with Mary. But what is the other sister up to? What is going on with Martha? We'll look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And so here is Martha. She's hustling and she's bustling in the kitchen. She's trying to get a meal ready in order to serve Jesus and to serve his disciples. Meanwhile, her lazy, no good for nothing sister Mary is not doing anything. Now the text doesn't tell us who's older, but, but you, you know that Martha had to be the older sister, right? You know, if you've ever had a Thanksgiving dinner, you know it's those youngest kids that are just, you know, not helping wash dishes and all of that. And yet Martha seems to be sort of that that typical type A oldest child who's always tattling on the younger ones, right? And so here she is, she's tattling on Mary to Jesus, and she's asking Jesus to step in and to rebuke her sister. And by the way that Martha asked the question, it's obvious that she expects Jesus to agree with her. She expects Jesus to step in and to do something about the situation. And so what happens? Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, 
which will not be taken from her. Now, when responding to her by saying, Martha, Martha, Jesus is actually here being quite gentle. In fact, according to one commentator, in the, the repetition of a person's name in Semitic language was a term of endearment. Jesus was pleading with her, not scolding her as if she was some sort of rebel. Martha, Martha is Jesus' gesture of compassion and kindness to Martha and also to us. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he is trying to gently help Martha understand and to think through her priorities. You see, it's not that Martha was doing something bad. In fact, she was doing something really, really good. She was working hard. She was seeking to serve and, and, and love on Jesus and his disciples by being hospitable. And so again, the problem isn't that she's doing something bad. It's just that she's not doing the best thing or the most needed thing in that moment. You see, what I think Jesus is bringing to the surface is that her priorities are mixed up. You see, in that moment, what Jesus wanted from Martha was not her food or her hospitality, but what he wanted was her attention. Jesus wanted Martha's devotion more than he wanted her food. You see, both sisters, by the very nature of being in the same house as Jesus, they are in his presence. But one sister gave Jesus, while being in his presence, her undivided attention, and the other one was distracted. You see, if you look at the footnote there uh, in verse 42 of, if you have an ESV Bible, or maybe some of the other English translations bring it out, what you see is that Jesus really just simplifies our priorities. And again, in the footnote, it says, few things are necessary. In fact, really, only one. And he says, Mary has discovered it, and I'm not going to take it away from her. Now, certainly, I, you could disagree with this, but I, I think Jesus, to a degree here, is, is using some hyperbole in regards to saying that only one thing is necessary. I mean, he himself will command his disciples to do all kinds of things that require work, that require action. And so, of course, there are other things in life that are necessary. But the point that he's trying to make is that in comparison to this one thing, it's really as if nothing else matters. I mean, it's a little bit like later on in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to hate your father and your mother. Again, you have to understand there, Jesus isn't literally saying, I want you to hate your father and mother. But again, he's using hyperbole. He's using the, the literary device of hyperbole in order to make a point. And in a similar way, I think he's doing the same thing here in this passage. He's saying, look, out of all of the things that you can do in life, even good things, there should be one thing that takes priority. And so as you and I, as we think about uh, what this one necessary thing was that, that Mary was doing, what, what exactly was she doing? Well, again, the text tells us that she is sitting at the feet of Jesus and she is listening to him. She is in Jesus' presence and she is giving him her undivided attention. And so if this is the one necessary thing in life, according to Jesus, how can you and I replicate what Mary is doing in our lives? Well, unfortunately, to do exactly what she's doing, we were born about 2,000 years too late. But when you think about what the essence of what she is doing and how you and I can sit at Jesus' feet and how we can give him our undivided attention and experience his presence and hear his voice, the way that you and I can do that is through the spiritual disciplines. And specifically through prayer and the reading of the scriptures. 
And so again, as we think about here through this priority that Jesus gives to devotion, to spending time with him, uh, we, we see here the priority of prayer. But, but not only that, if we dip down into our second uh, passage here, we see Luke is trying to hammer home that point as well. He's trying to hammer on the point that prayer is to be a priority. Look again at chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So Luke here, in, in this verse, he mentions uh, very explicitly that Jesus is praying, and this is the sixth time in the Gospel of Luke that he has mentioned that. And so in the course of 11 chapters, Luke has mentioned six different times Jesus going off to pray, or, or Jesus was praying here in this moment. And so when, you, when it comes to the importance of prayer in the life of Jesus, Luke is out to make it explicitly clear that prayer was a main priority in Jesus' life. And, and if that was a main priority for Jesus, how much more should it be a priority for us? And so again here, we see this first point being made through the passage that we are to have prayer as a priority. Let's go to the second part of our outline, though, which is the practice of prayer. Now, when it comes to the practice of prayer, I think between the two sections that we're looking at today, we see one type of prayer modeled, and I think we see the other type of prayer explicitly taught on. What I mean by that is that in the story of Mary and Martha, even though prayer is not explicitly mentioned, I think we do see it modeled. Because again, as I just argued a second ago, how can you and I do what Mary did? Well, we can only do what Mary did through the practice of prayer and reading the Word. And I'm talking about here, this, this, this is a different kind of prayer. It's different from what we'll look at in, a, in just a moment when we see, and uh, in, in later on in chapter 11, the, the type of prayer that's more petition-based. The type of prayer where we're asking God for things. Rather, what I think we see modeled here in the story of Mary and Martha is a type of prayer where we are waiting in the Lord's presence. A type of prayer where we are seeking his face, where we're obeying the command in Psalms to be still and to know that he is God. What some might refer to as more contemplative prayer. I know that word makes, maybe makes some of you nervous, but all I really mean by that is a, a type of prayer that is, is thoughtful. A type of prayer that is reflective and even meditative. It's, it's what Brother Lawrence would have referred to as practicing his presence. And maybe that looks like things like silence and solitude. Where you're just simply seeking to set your full attention on the Lord. Where you're seeking to rest in his presence. Or maybe it could look like you prayerfully reading through the scriptures slowly and meditatively. Where you're, where you're reading not to just check off a box or to get through a passage uh, quickly or even through a lot. Uh, you know, multiple chapters or something like that. But you're, but you're just slowly reading through maybe even just a verse. And you're asking the Lord to speak. You see, if we look back at the story of Mary and Martha, one of the things you notice is that Mary is not speaking. In fact, there's no mention that she says anything in the passage. Instead, Mary is quietly sitting in the Lord's presence. She's listening to him. And maybe again you're thinking, yeah, but, but that's not prayer. That isn't what the, the story doesn't say that she's praying. Well, again, you're right. But what I would say is, is that in 2019, apart from prayer, we can't do that. So again, that's why I would argue that what uh, Mary is doing here is a model for us. And I think that this type of prayer has been somewhat of a new discovery for me over the last several years. 
You see, for a long time, the only category of prayer I understood or even practiced was really that of petitioning, where I was just simply asking God for things, the, the type of prayer where uh, it's completely one-sided. I'm the only one talking. And I remember a real turning point for me was um, a few years ago, I was out on a prayer walk, and, and I was out uh, in the woods, and I remember that particular day feeling really excited to, to be out in nature, to spend some time in, in silence and solitude. And yet, uh, all of a sudden, it was like I realized, oh, wait, I've got to be really productive here. I've got to work through my big, long prayer list. I can't just enjoy being out uh, in nature, being with the Lord. In other words, uh, I, I just, again, I thought that that wasn't allowed. And, and I just remember in that moment, as I was feeling that and feeling somewhat disappointed, it, I, I heard what I think was maybe the Holy Spirit say, Nick, just enjoy the walk. Just enjoy my creation and enjoy the silence and the solitude. Won't you just rest in my presence? Won't you just uh, be attentive to my voice? You see, up until that point, I didn't really have a category for this type of prayer, and yet I think deep down I longed for it. I just didn't know what it looked like, or maybe I was afraid I was going to you know, get off into something dangerous like Christian mysticism or New Age theology or something like that. And yet as I begin to read different books on the topic, as I begin to dig into church history and to pay attention to even what the scriptures say about this type of prayer, I begin to realize just what I was missing. And so now this type of prayer has become such a crucial part of my regular rhythm with the Lord. And again, sometimes it, it just looks like me sitting quietly before him. It looks like me resting in his presence with my heart and my attention focused on him. Other times, again, it looks like me just reading slowly. Instead of trying to get through multiple chapters of, of, a, of a book of the Bible, I, I maybe just will focus on a paragraph. Or maybe it looks like me journaling my thoughts before the Lord, my, my thoughts and my feelings, and just saying, Lord, I, I feel really anxious today. I feel really afraid, Lord. What, what is going on? Search my heart. Know, know my heart, Lord. And then I just sit back and I listen. And sometimes in those moments, I, I don't, it's just quiet, and, and other times the Lord will bring uh, a passage of Scripture to mind. I was doing that earlier this week, and, and it was just like, Lord, I, I'm a little bit stressed out and anxious about this message. Lord, will you help me? And all of a sudden, the, a verse 37, Psalm 37, 7 popped into my head. And, you know, I don't have that memorized, so I looked it up, and it said, Be still and wait patiently for the Lord. It's like, Thank you, Lord. Now, that doesn't work every time. Other times it's like, uh, you know, Judas went off to hang himself, and then, you know, you know that classic example, and then you flip to another passage that says, what you do, go do quickly. So, I, you know, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. But, but in that moment, that was a really tender moment for me. That's what I needed to hear from the Lord. Again, sometimes it's just a word, like, just rest. Other times, again, it looks like me walking through nature with my heart and my attention, and just enjoying what he's made. I mean, when's the last time you just went for a walk in nature and, and, and just observed all that the Lord has made and his creativity and the beauty. I mean, even just, they gross me out, but, but spiders, the spider web is amazing. Have you ever taken the time just to focus in on one and see just the, in, in, uh, the detail and, and all that's going on there? We'll just skip that word. Um, because here's what I, here's what I know. I, I don't know how you're wired. I don't know the way that, that you are, but I know that for me, I am prone to be performance-driven. I'm prone to find my identity and my worth in what I do, not in who Jesus has made me to be. You see, I am by nature much more of a Martha, and so because of that, I desperately need this type of prayer 
in my life. And my guess is, is that you do too. And so as we think about practicing prayer, I think we need to keep in mind that, that there really are kind of two categories or two types of prayer. And so this is the first kind, but let's move on now and look at the other, uh, the other type that maybe you're more familiar with. And so let's pick it up here in verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now in other messages in recent years, we have done a, a, a deep dive. A, we have thoroughly taught through the Lord's Prayer and so I'm not gonna go too much into it here. We'll look at it more from a 10,000 foot view. But as we do that, one of the things we see is that Jesus here is he's giving his disciples both language and a model for prayer. He's giving them language in the sense that he tells them that they too can address God as their father. You see, all throughout uh, Jesus' ministry, they have been hearing him talk about God as his father. And yet now Jesus is giving them language and he's giving them permission to address God as their father as well. And we see here also from Jesus' model that, that because we are to call God Father, uh, prayer involves intimacy. Prayer is in the context of a relationship. However, though, he, he goes on in this model and, and, and he shows us that prayer is to involve respect and worship. That's why right after saying Father, he says, Hallowed be your name. The word Hallowed there means set apart or sanctified. So in praying uh, that, there's a recognition of the otherness of God. There's a recognition that, that God is set apart. He is holy. And so, yes, we, we must not forget that, yes, he is our father. There's intimacy. There's relationship. But we must not forget that there also is to be respect and reverence. And then if we keep reading, we see that in the Lord's Prayer that, obviously, prayer involves asking for things. It does involve petitioning the Father. And what we see in this model prayer is that uh, it, it is okay to ask for both physical and spiritual needs. It's not just confined to one or the other. And, and the reason for that is because the reality is, is that God made us to be both body and spirit. And therefore, because we live in a fallen world, we will have needs that arise in both of those areas of our lives. Now, another thing we see here when it comes to practicing prayer, and, and specifically on this idea of petitioning, it's found in this little parable that Jesus gives in verses 5 to 8, which say this. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will arise and give him whatever he needs. You see, what Jesus is teaching us in this little parable is that you and I should not be afraid to ask God for big things. We should not be afraid to pray with persistence and with boldness. The NIV actually translates verse 8 this way. He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. See, I think what Jesus is doing with this parable is he's inviting us to pray to the Father with shameless audacity. He's saying, I want you guys to be like the neighbor in the story. I want you just to go for it. You see, later on in the Bible, Jesus' brother James will say, you have not because you ask not. 
You see, I saw this principle illustrated recently with one of my kids. This principle of asking for things with shameless audacity. And, and the reason for that is because a few months ago, if you were here, I was teaching and I was talking about how um, we have this pet bunny rabbit named John, even though I can't really stand pets and, and would prefer not to have any. But uh, either way, I am the proud owner of a black bunny named John. Now, if that wasn't enough, two weeks ago, we were out at my in-law's farm doing some yard work. And in the process of that, some of my kids wandered off into one of the barns and in doing so, they discovered a kitten of bar- a litter of barn kittens. Now, it's a long story, and I can't really get into it, but the bottom line is, is at the end of the night, my six-year-old daughter, the one who asked for the bunny rabbit about a year and a half ago, now I have her standing before me, and she, we're about to leave, and she is asking me if we can take this one particular kitten home with us. Now, I can't tell you how shameless, audacious that request was, given how I have made known to our family how I feel about pets. But even still, what I can tell you is that I am the owner of a little black kitten named Grip. Um, In fact, I bet you're all just dying to see a video of both John and Grip together. And lucky for you, we have one. It's not very good quality and it's very small, but here it is. I love how John just freaks out at the end. He, now, just in case you're worried, they're not together all the time. That was like a one-time deal just because we thought it'd be cute. But um, anyway, the point of that was just to show, uh, first off, that I'm a pushover when it comes to my daughters. But, but more than that, the point is, is I think Jesus here is encouraging us to pray the kinds of prayers that are bold and that are big. And to pray them with persistence. Because you never know when God in that moment might give you the thing you're asking for. And the reason that you and I can do this is because of this last part in our outline, and that is the promise of prayer. Look here again at verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, the reason that you and I can and should pray with boldness and with persistence is because of the promise we see here, which tells us that God will listen to our prayers. That when you and I ask, we should expect to receive. When we seek, we will find. When we knock, the door will be opened. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus goes on to insult all of us earthly fathers by saying, look, if you earthly evil fathers know how to give good gifts to your kids, I mean, if that's true, how much more should we expect the Heavenly Father to hear our prayers and to answer them? I mean, again, Jesus here is inviting us to pray with boldness. He's inviting us to pray with expectation, and he's promising and assuring us that when we pray, there is a heavenly Father who hears our prayers and who will respond. 
Now, in saying that, I don't think that, that, that Jesus is teaching that we will get everything that we pray for, right? In fact, later on, I, I just quoted Jesus' brother James when he says, you, uh, uh, you have not because you ask not, but then immediately he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So no, not everything we ask for is a guarantee. And frankly, if I'm just being honest and vulnerable with you, there is a, a mystery to prayer and to God's sovereignty and how it all fits together that I don't fully understand. But even still, what I know and what I believe the Bible teaches is that as followers of Jesus, we have been invited and we have been encouraged and even commanded to be people of prayer. And so again, as we look at these two stories, these passages, we see, number one, the priority of prayer. We see the practice of prayer and we see the promise of prayer. But as we start to wrap up this morning, I just want to circle back around to this idea that we started the message out with, and that is this idea in this area of distractions. Again, if we go back to that Tozer quote, he argued that among the enemies of devotion to Jesus, none is so harmful as distractions. And again, Tozer's writing that in the 1950s or 60s, and he's complaining about the science-based civilization we're living in and how it has multiplied distractions. 1950s, 60s. I think if poor Tozer was alive in 2019, he would just drop dead, right? If Tozer was living in, in the era of the iPhone and Netflix and YouTube and Fortnite and all of these things, he just, again, I think he might give up. If he described the world that he lived in and his culture as being full of distractions, then the world that you and I find ourselves in today is even more so. I mean, even recently, I was watching an old movie with my wife. We uh, like old movies. It was, it was a movie from the 1930s, I think. And, and there was this one particular scene where everyone was, uh, it was, it was kind of a crowded room. They were either in a restaurant or a nightclub or something like that. And everyone's just talking and enjoying one another. And in that moment, it, it sort of hit me. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, you know what's crazy about this scene? What's crazy is that nobody's on their phone. Like everybody is like fully present and they're just enjoying and, and nobody is thinking about anything else about other than what's going on in that room. And it was just this weird moment where it sort of produced a longing to go back to sort of a, a pre-smartphone era. And yet, as I, I mean, I, like literally I began to think of like, where could I move with my family where this is possible? And I just, I, you know, as I thought about it, even, you know, you think about Africa, Latin America, Central America, like it's everywhere. And so I don't think we're going to escape it. Um, and so I think we need to, to, there's a level to which we need to figure out how to navigate and how to, the, as best as we can, create space and to create moments with the Lord where we are distraction free, free where we can give him, like Mary, our undivided attention. See, I think we need to be intentional about creating space and having moments like this every day. And I know depending on what stage of life you're in, it might look differently, than, than, than others. I know if you have little kids or if you're just sort of at the height of your career, it's gonna maybe look differently. But either way, I think you and I need to create space where every day we are setting our heart and our affections and our attention on the Lord. And again, maybe the time of it will, will depend on all that's going on and, and maybe it'll all be in the morning or maybe it'll be at night or, or really what would maybe be better is to have multiple times throughout your day where you're just stopping where you're pausing, where you're maybe turning the phone off or, or you're just pushing away from your desk or whatever it is, and you're just, again, seeking to set your heart and your attention on him. You see, I don't know what it's gonna look like in your life, but what I do know is that Jesus told us 
that few things are necessary and actually only one. And so if that's true, are you and I, are we doing that one necessary thing consistently? Is prayer a priority in your life? And so as we close here, I just want to lead us through a series of questions to help us self-evaluate about where we're at on this. And the first question I want to ask you is this, what are the distractions in your life that are pulling you away from Jesus? In other words, practically, what are the things in your life that steal your time, your energy, and your attention? And as you think through that, my uh, guess is, is that your, your answer is probably a little bit of a mixed bag, right? Like there's, there's probably some really good necessary things in that list, things like caring for your kids or your job or, or, or loving your spouse or, you know, fixing up your house or whatever it is. But I bet if you're honest, there's probably also some not so necessary things in there as well. Or at the very least, I should say some things that time-wise and attention-wise are out of balance with your devotion to the Lord. I mean, can we just be frank, brothers? How much sports in a given week is necessary for you to watch? I mean, I know it's football season and it's only, you know, 14 weeks long or whatever it is. But, but seriously, three or four games a week, that, that is a lot of time. Or maybe, you know, for, for others of us who maybe aren't into sports, what about how often are you checking your phone? I know I'm picking on the phone, but guys, let's be honest. That is a big deal. Like, that has totally changed our culture and the way that we do life. And, and I think we have to be honest with, you know, whether it's uh, social media or shopping, you know, on Poshmark or Etsy or Amazon, whatever it is, there's a lot of time and attention being stolen. Again, and, and here's the thing. Those things aren't bad. Most of them aren't bad. They're not necessarily evil. But the reality is, is that they are distractions. They steal time, energy, and attention away from the Lord. What about this question? Do you consistently have moments where you give the Lord your undivided attention? Do you in your life right now have regular practices, regular rhythms and habits where you are setting aside time to give the Lord your undivided attention? And maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, I do. I, every day I have a, a little devotional, a little quiet time. And, and even to that, I would just say this. Yeah, that, that, that's good. But even during those times, are you being fully present to the Lord? You see, one of the things I've realized over the last several years is that, uh, and maybe you can relate to this, is that so often, even when I'm spending time with the Lord, my mind and my thoughts are somewhere else. And particularly my mind and my thoughts, like this is just true in life all day long, my thoughts and my mind are either stuck in past or in future thinking. And what I mean by that is that so often in my life, I may be physically present, but I am mentally and I'm emotionally somewhere else. You see, so many of us, uh, our minds are either taken up with either worries about past events or they're, they're taken up with worries about future things. We're either obsessing about what we could have done or should have done differently, or we're worrying about what might happen later. I mean, for me, even all week long, I have been struggling with, uh, been struggling with this. Whether it's been in conversations with my wife or in meetings at work or at my kids' soccer games or whatever it is, I have basically all, been, all week long been living in the anxiety of this moment right here, this moment of speaking to you. 
And so again, I might be in a meeting about work and we're talking about something else and I'm thinking about, am I ready? Is it all gonna come together? Will it, will it come together in time? Will people like it? Will they disagree with something I said and write me a comment card later? Or whatever it is, right? And on and on it goes. And if I'm not careful today, I'll go home and I'll be tempted to not be fully present again. I'll be tempted to be thinking about this moment and thinking about what I should have done differently, what I could have said differently, what words I tripped up on, what words I mispronounced or whatever. And yet that's not what the Lord wants for us. You see here, listen to this. God dwells in the now. And because of that, he wants us to be fully present to him in, 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 in each and every moment in our lives. And he certainly wants that when we're spending intentional time with him. He really does desire your undivided attention. You see, with this, I think if we're honest and we ask ourselves this question, um, I think it's pretty humbling. How much of our life and how much of the presence and voice of God do we miss because of distractions and because of past and future thinking? Now, I don't know. Maybe at this point you're feeling a little discouraged. I know for me, as I wrestled with this stuff this week, that I was tempted to feel that way. I even, in my journal, wrote, you know, as I felt like the Lord brought Psalm 37, 7 to my mind about uh, be still and to wait patiently for the Lord, I, I wrote in my journal, Lord, I stink at this. I am not good at waiting. I am not good at being still. Will you help me, Lord? And in that moment, as I just, again, have been wrestling with this passage all week, what I, what I think Jesus wants to say to me and what I think maybe he wants to say to you this morning is what Jesus said in verse 13. He said, if you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, here's what I want you to hear this morning. We serve a how much more kind of a God. We serve a generous God, a God who loves to give us good gifts. And the greatest gift that God can give us is himself. And the way that he does that is through giving us the Holy Spirit. You see, we could end this time this morning by just beating ourselves up, and I could try to lay the guilt on real thick and make you feel bad and make you, you know, cancel your cell phone plan and get a flip phone and all of that. But instead of that, instead, let's just ask God, the Father, to pour out his spirit on us, to revive our hearts, to awaken us to the reality of who he is. You see, because here's what I know. Ultimately, the iPhone and Netflix are not the problem. Ultimately, our heart, which desires those things, desires those distractions over and above Jesus, that is the problem. And so because of that, as we close, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask the Father to, to pour out his spirit, to like David prayed in Psalm 51, that, that God would create a clean heart in us, that he would renew a steadfast spirit within us, that he would renew to us the joy of our salvation. You see, if you look at uh, Revelation 2, the, the letter to the church of Ephesus, Jesus commends them for all of these good works that they're doing, these good necessary things that are, they're doing. But then he rebukes them, he says, but you have forgotten, you have forsaken your first love. And maybe some of us are in that place today where we need Jesus to renew by the power of the Holy Spirit our first love and our devotion to him. Let's pray. Father, distractions and apathy, if most of us are honest, Lord, abound everywhere. 
Father, many of us, we know we're distracted. We know that we're indifferent to you and, and to spending time with you, Lord. And yet we've tried to change, Lord. We've tried to, to, to find ways to, to, to overcome that. Father, would you right now, thank you for this promise, Lord, that, that you are a good heavenly Father and that if we ask you, you will give us the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you revive our hearts? Would you awaken us? Lord, would you help us to have eyes and hearts for you, Lord? Would you renew to us our first love? We ask this in Jesus' name.